Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 108 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Cornhusker fans and college football fans. Yes, hello. Uh, For those who may be listening to this podcast for the first time, we are College Football Throwdown, a father-son duo that does uh, college football talk by college football fans for college football fans. And we are here today to talk about our team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, their game against Buffalo, as well as the other big games of week two of the national season and what's coming up the following week, as well as a few uh, breaking news coaching changes. So lots to get to today. Yes, exactly. Yes. There's always a lot going on, though, isn't there? Yeah. It seems like both on and off the field. Well, it it is... Usually, I feel like when I say, you know, in the previous week, oh, I looked at the games this week, there's not that many big games. Um, somehow, the, the college football always <laughs> finds a way to deliver something exciting. That's true. Uh, that's, yeah. That's what you love about it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so, we're going to go ahead and do our uh, beverages that we have oh, here yes. for this evening. And yes, okay. I am coming back with another uh, Sapporo. This is my last one. So uh-huh. the Japanese beer that I like. Well, I'm I'm whining around as well because we're we're preparing to leave here to um, start heading uh, towards the the you know the uh, God's country and uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Here, um, uh, not this week, but uh, in about a week and a half, we're going to go to the go down to. East Lansing on our way out of Michigan and uh, and take in the Michigan Michigan State Nebraska game, which we just got tickets for today, and then we're heading heading over to Lincoln for a few weeks to see a couple of home games. Then, so so uh, I'm trying to get rid of my 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 beer um, plethora that I have right now, <laughs> so I can get organized for the rest of the year. There you so go. So I'm drinking a North Peak Brew Pub, another local brewery here in Traverse City drinking their cherry summer wheat because our summer's coming to a close. So it's time for this one to get cleared out of the fridge. All right. Well, it's called Archangel. Yeah. It's called Archangel. All right. Here we go. Ah. And the nice thing about this one is, is it uses local Traverse city cherries. So I love that distinctive cherry flavor that it has. Yes. Better than Samuel Adams. It's cherry capital of the world for a reason. That's right, baby. (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, that'll be cool. You'll be able to uh, do some college football throwdown episodes uh, reporting from the homeland, as it were. That's right. I will. That's yeah. right. And hopefully maybe get Brother AJ if he if he still comes. So. <laughs> or if he wants to talk about the games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, that's true. He, you know, he, may be, he may be saying, I'm done with this. So. We'll see. Yeah. Um, yep. One quick note for our listeners. Um for next week's podcast, um, we'll be talking about the Oklahoma-Nebraska game, as well as uh, the other big games of that week. However, I'm traveling next week, um, so the podcast may be a little later than usual. Uh, later we'll, in the week. Yeah, So, we'll, but we'll find time to, to talk about yep. it here at some point. Exactly. We'll figure it out. Yes, we will. All right. So... Uh, on the previous podcast, we gave our usual predictions for the Buffalo game, and I was the uh, positive one this time, predicting that uh, we would beat Buffalo in a close game, a uh, high scoring as well, 35-31, and 
and you predicted a loss based on what you had read up about Buffalo of a 35-21. And it ended up being a victory, uh, 28-3, quite different from the offensive battle I was thinking it would be. It turned out to be uh, kind of a defensive battle on both sides of the ball. Um, kind of a game where once again, like with the Fordham game, we really struggled early. It was like zero, zero by the end of the first quarter. Um, and we did eventually, uh, you know, find some more things that were working on offense. Uh, but it was mostly the defense that really kind of bailed us out as well as the fact that, uh, Buffalo missed several field goals, uh, when they did, did get into a scoring range. Um, so that was kind of the main story of the game. I would agree. And well, and I would throw one caveat in that we had three touchdowns called back. So the reality is, is that the, the, the final score probably if both teams had played a, a little more error free uh, might've ended up being something like, you know, maybe 40, 42, 45 to like 13 or something like that, you know, uh, 21, 17, uh, depending on what what they might have been able to get get done on 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 the Buffalo side of things, but we had three touchdown plays, all really impressive plays, by the way, um, called back because of a variety of penalties, uh, which we can get into later uh, as far as the the details of those errors. But not not a good thing that you had three touchdowns taken off the board. Uh, no. That can be disheartening and and really crush an offense's. Uh, you know, consistency and rhythm. Right. Well, and uh, to be fair to the uh, refing staff on this game, I actually think they did a pretty good job overall because they were calling a tight game on both sides. Um, We ended having nine penalties for 71 yards and Buffalo had 10 for 88, um, some of which were also uh, personal foul penalties for 15 yards. You know, that they had devastating penalties. Yes. The timing of their penalties were awful. I mean, obviously, so were ours because we had we called we had three touchdowns called back, but but theirs were equally devastating. Right, and with ours, the first two, which was the uh, pick play where our guy didn't like put his hands up, you know, didn't sell it right, and then another one I believe, which was ho- offensive holding on like one of our guys yeah. that was coming for Adrian, and Adrian passed right. the ball to I believe it was to Betts. And he got like this great catch Correct. in the in the end zone. Those right. those two I understand. The one at the very end of the game on the option on the, where they oh, said it was a forward was, pass. That, that's awful. Yeah, that one was really bad. And Scott well, did not hold back on uh, giving the refs his opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, he in fact he even called a timeout just so that he could talk individually with every member of that crew before the next play. Right. <laughs> but but you may recall there was a play where um uh their their quarterback, Buffalo's quarterback, um got hit as he was throwing it and yeah. or just after he was throwing it and our guy kind of pushed him and he fell down and in, in the moment it looked like it might have been, you know, a late hit and their sideline was really going crazy. Their coach was going wild. But when you saw the slow-mo replay, it was very clear. It was just kind of a light push. And then their quarterback did a good job selling it. You know, he went absolutely there. You know, he was acting school. Yeah. He went to acting yeah, school he was, and he, he was down there. Yeah. You would have hired him to do one of your films yeah. and, you know, when you were down at OU. And then the, and the ref threw, 
threw the flag late and I got worried, oh man, this one this one's going to go against us, isn't it? Uh, but then, no, it went against the coach, Buffalo's coach, for right. a sideline right. violation. Right, because he, he came off the field and, yep, right. he got too so, far off the field. So that showed to me that, you know, this this ref staff was, you know, doing a fair job, you know, in general. Yeah, you know, except, they didn't screw but, but us the, there. Yeah, that's true. They didn't screw us there. But but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that the, that the pick play call was ticky-tack bullshit that – uh, I'm telling you, again, if you went across the landscape of college football, just in this snapshot of this past weekend, and you, you look at all the pick plays that are going on in college football, it has become a staple of most uh, offenses, particularly the spread-type offenses like we run. I mean, that is a everyday thing. And frankly, that pick had nothing to do with the guy being open. You know what I mean? It had no influence on the result of the play. Had that guy not run into that guy at all, it, the result still would have been uh, our receiver was wide open because he was wide open because of a error, a, a, a shift that they did where they had a broken assignment and our guy was wide open. And so he would have walked in like he did, even if the pick, quote, quote, had not happened. You know what I mean? So influence on the play, zero. And again, um, if I can go on a rant, I, I don't know if it's too soon, but it's again an example. This is this is another example of our coaches not understanding what they're dealing with, and and being able to teach our guys because of the. I believe now I'm convinced it's because of how Scott practices, and until we start practicing in a more game like kind of situation and and risk more um, injuries during practice, which I know is a you know a horrible thing and. And, you know, that sort of stuff. But we have to practice at full speed and both offensively and defensively because our receivers end up being shocked by the physicality and the location of where these picks happen during the game. And I believe that is because during practice, the countless, you know, I mean, they're repping these things tens of times a day, right? And then the game happens. And it just looks very different to those receivers, I think, because they're not practicing properly during the week. Mm -hmm. So there's my little rant. Uh, you've got to be able to practice so your players are getting a good look at what they're going to see on Saturday. Yep, I would agree with that. There, there's, an old, there's an old saying that Tom Osborne was, this was a cornerstone of his philosophy, which can't be done today. I mean, this is one of the realities of how our game has changed because rules about practice and how, how many physical days of contact you can have and all this because they're trying to minimize, uh, you know, head injuries and things of that nature, uh, the concussion thing. Um, but, you know, all the players from the Osborne era, uh, uh, particularly the later part, would tell you that their practices were so incredibly physical that the game was the easy day. Um, I mean, it just was, right? It was always easier on game day. Um, uh, unless, you know, except for ironically, when we played Oklahoma, right. The, the big game was, uh, Oklahoma back then. And, uh, you know, that was maybe the, one of the exceptions, but, but usually you were beating on each other and going full go enough during the week that, that you were ready for whatever came at you on, on Saturday. I don't think we get that done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's, you know, to your point, like, 
uh, times have changed in that regard, uh, but there still is problems with how Frost is running his practices. Even with absolutely, those I guarantee you, Alabama and Nick Saban finds a way for his team to be super physical during the week, and and he is practicing his team enough at full go that 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 his players aren't having the surprise that our players seem to have quite regularly. Right. Um, and, and, uh, I know hopefully we'll go into more details here, but I want to jump into one more detail just because I think it bridges. Well, there was also another weird penalty that Nebraska got, which is again, it's, this is a coaching thing. Oh, right. We had, we had a, a defensive lineman whose helmet was, was knocked off. Now, number one, you have to question, why did this guy's helmet come off? Probably because an offensive lineman pushed it off, right? Which means the hands to the face. So if anything, when that when that helmet's rolling around, uh, that means a referee probably missed a, ha- a hands to the face call that should have been called on the offensive lineman, but wasn't. But our defensive lineman did not have enough awareness of the circumstance and the rules to understand that once your helmet comes off, the rules state that you cannot continue to play, meaning that you cannot uh, engage physical contact, that sort of stuff. Once your helmets come off, you have to just kind of, you know, do your best to avoid things and, uh, and take the rest of the playoff. Well, he didn't do that. And ironically, uh, he ran into the play, which they will generally allow. This is not a penalty that's called very often at all. No, but, but it was because he then jumped on the pile. He, he joined in on the tackle, even though he didn't have a helmet on. And the irony was he didn't need to do that. If anything, he was pushing the Buffalo offensive player forward. <laughs> he was giving that guy more yardage. He needed to just back off. And the fact that he didn't know to do that is on the coaches. Another example of our coaches not having our kids prepared not having them understand the rules and uh, of the game. Uh, and this is something that has been a consistent criticism of mine with Coach Frost is that our team seems to not understand the basics of the game. Doesn't understand the rules. Right. And that is, uh, you know, that's like uh, um, Taylor Britt, you know, catching that ball at the end zone and ended up in the safety. I mean, that is a bonehead. High school players shouldn't be making that. You know, that's something you learn in junior high. If you're playing football, yeah, well, and, and you you just know it. Yeah, well, I actually I texted you about that penalty because uh, I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever heard that one called before because it is so obscure. Um, yeah, and and then similarly, uh, Cam Taylor Britt in this game had a punt that was short, and he ran up fa- to fair catch it, and then one of our guys like ran into him because he was blocking a Buffalo guy, and the ball right. scraped the back of his leg, and it ended up in a turnover. To favor right. Buffalo. And now, Cam didn't touch that ball, but no. as the punt returner, when when it, when when it's there is usually a call. There's usually a word that the team has, and everybody on that punt return um, unit knows that phrase, whatever it is, and it's different for every team. But you know uh, that uh, you know, say a word like bingo, and you say bingo, 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 and you scream it at the top of your your lungs to let because there's only a few blockers that are going to be that are uh, prepared to be down near 
where you are. They're going to be your lead, your wedge blockers on, on whatever formation they're using for the punt return, right? And those are the guys that need to hear that. Not all 11, just two or three guys. And they need to know that when they hear bingo, they stop uh, with their um, um, blocking and start going back upfield to get away from the ball. Okay, that's the word. You just do it, right? And our guys obviously didn't hear it or there was no, you know, to Cam Taylor did not convey it, whatever the, whatever the call is. Mm-hmm. And again, another high school football basic thing that we don't do well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to uh, switch to some more positive things since we've kind of been ragging <laughs> on some of the negatives here. Um, yes. On positives for special teams, um, we were kicking it into the end zone pretty consistently, I noticed, yeah. um, which is yep. a nice change for the All Illinois game. Yeah. Um, and as well, our punter, um, there were a couple scenarios where he was kind of in that no man's land where you're trying to punt it so it doesn't go in the end zone and stops, you know, uh, like in the 10 yard line. And there was one where he got it like right on the two, you know, and that one worked out well. I think there was a different time where it like bounced on that two yard line and went into the end zone. But then this time it just went like straight up and, you know, our guy got it, you know? So we've seen some improvement there. Uh, Not so good on the field goals, but we're staying positive right now. Um, And then uh, on the defensive side of the ball, once again, the fact we held them to three points is impressive. You know, they did miss three field goals. So, you know, they were driving the ball, you know, on certain plays, but we always found a way to stop them. They went for on, on fourth down twice. We stopped them both times. Um, the crowd noise was definitely having an effect on them as they had to call some timeouts or delay of games, you know, over the course of the game. Um, and Luke Reimer had a great game. Uh, he had, uh, seven solo tackles, nine assists, and one interception that led us, uh, to a touchdown. So yeah, I, I think he got defensive player of the week, uh, yes. in the big 10. I did see that. Yeah. So that's a, that's great. So this was kind of another scenario where our offense was struggling to get uh, momentum going, uh, you know, aside from those big plays, like you say, where we would have got a touchdown, uh, but we, uh, you know, they got called back for whatever reason on a penalty, Uh, but the defense would step up, you know, and stop them. And this was the same Buffalo team we talked about last week that scored 69 points against their previous team. And we were worried about that. I was thinking it was gonna be a high scoring game. So they were making plenty of mistakes themselves with their own penalties setting them back. Uh, but still, the fact that our defense uh, was able to play that well, uh, I think, is a good sign. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I mean, you can't look at what, what they were able to do in terms of the overall. The stats overall were good for our defense. And when you can keep a team to scoring only three points in modern football, that's that's a good day, right, for a defense. Um, but uh, I would I would um, say that the, the challenge we're going to have, you know, uh, not only particularly this week, obviously, but but going forward throughout the rest of our games is, you, you know, we we've got to find a way to uh, be a little tougher against that 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 running game. Uh, these guys were committed to running the football they were they they fired off the ball buffalo was a good football team and probably will do okay this year i i don't know that they're going to win the mac or anything but, uh, but they'll be in the mix i think they're good enough to be in the mix well um, a funny thing they were not intimidated at all 
A funny thing, though, actually, if you look at the stats, uh, we actually did kind of force them, and part of it was because they were behind in the game, I suppose, later on, but they we did force them to pass it because they ran it 33 times for only 135 yards, whereas they passed it 50 times for 224 yards. Right, but but if you look at the number of times where, you know, third and three, third and four, third and five, and they would convert just a ridiculous that their their third down conversion was too good you know a, a team a defense that's dominating would have been able to you know when, when you get a third and seven you should be able to get those guys off the field um, mm-hmm. if you're if you really are in control of the game and we weren't able to do that it's just like yeah. ugh, it was it, so frustrating they were uh, 11 of 22 um, and I would agree yeah. with you there were that was to me I was noticing that more in the passing game though and that it would be like True. third and 10 and then they'd throw an 11 yard pass and just barely get a first down. Um, You're right. That there there, there were some passes. There, there were some passes, but they were also, you know, just getting more yards on the, in the running game than I wanted them to get, uh, um, you know, so that we could keep them behind the, behind the chain, so to speak behind schedule so that we could get them into a third and long. And, it, and we struggled to, we, we when we would do that then then we'd let them off the hook with a pass completion so they marched it up and down the field on us really between the 20s man they were they were moving that football but we did stiffen up a lot uh when they would get in close mm-hmm. and they had some untimely penalties that helped us in that regard yep well and also uh we're looking at red zone and scoring uh they were only in the red zone twice and they only scored on that once one of those being their uh their field goal that field they actually goal. made right uh we were 2 of 4 in that stat uh right. also because of missed field goals right yeah yeah and we, that's yeah we were similar early on honestly like where we would get a good drive but they would stop us deep and then we would bring out our Connor Culp to kick it and he was just having a really bad day he was, and you could, I mean, his his frustration was demonstrative. I mean, he was grabbing his helmet and just could not believe he was missing this stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Scott has continued to stand behind, you know, Connor and said, you know, he's a, he's a good kicker. He's, a, you know, he's a good player. Uh, and we just don't want to let this get in his head kind of thing. So he, he's trying to be supportive. But at this point, I, I think we're a little bit beyond that. At, at this point, I think you need to use the tough love approach with him and say, hey, you know, this is uh, – and, and hopefully he is in practice. You know, what he says to the media and what he's saying to the individual players, two different things. And so hopefully he's, he's uh, putting the screws to, to Connor a little bit to say, hey, I don't care that you're, you know, the returning all Big Ten field goal kicker, you know, forget about that that's all out the window you ain't getting any of that shit this year right don't worry about it i, I feel like he has to have that conversation with connor uh with a number of guys connor culp um, um taylor Britt. you know a, a number of players need to have their coaches or their head coach tell them listen you guys have got to stop worrying about making big plays and all these grandiose visions you might have had for this season and just recognize that your job is to is to figure out how to do your job. You know, uh, Taylor Britt uh, uh, tried to jump a few routes on Saturday that if he had just played defense the way he's taught, we would have stopped a couple of um, – one of them particularly, uh, we, we had him backed up 
uh, you know, uh, to, to near their oh, goalpost. Yeah. And we, we would have, I mean, he would have easily been able to just, even if the, even if he hadn't knocked the ball down, if he had just played that defender properly, which is the way he's taught, he would have made the tackle right as the guy caught it. And he would have been short of a first down and we would have made them punt inside their own 20. But instead he thought he was going to go for the, you know, star studded interception play or whatever. And he jumped the route and he mistimed it. And, uh, the guy catches it and now the guy is running free and, and gets, you know, 15, 20 yards and, and they're out of the hole. And that's him trying to improve his stock for an NFL bid next year. And he needs to understand, listen, you, you've made enough mistakes. All that impressing the scouts with your regular season shit, that's out the window. Just wait till the opportunities present themselves and seize on them when they're there. But right. he's just trying too hard. He's trying to do too much. Right. Um, and yeah, it is frustrating with Connor Culp because, like you say, he was a great kicker for us last year. You know, not like an Alex Henry type where he was a real like star kind of boomer. But, right. Right. Not not that type, but but a solid, consistent kicker. You know, which is what you want to have on a football team. Um, so I feel like it's a mental thing for him. You know, and I know that, yeah. like you say, kickers can definitely get in their own head. For sure. Yeah. So well, he, and and now we're we're going up in a game in which if we hope to stay close in this coming game, that kicker is going to be critical. That's true. Uh, it should be noted one other factor on the day was that it was a record heat day at Memorial Stadium on game day. It was over a hundred degrees down on the bottom. You know, at at the field well, level. Uh, well, actually, they they did a they have some kind of a you know, mm-hmm. system where they're able to actually measure the temperature on the field surface. And it was 130. Yep. Yep. They did say that. So yeah. Yeah. That, so that that's was crazy. That was a factor, you know, and I, I was worried when I saw that, Oh man, like our guys are going to wilt later, you know, but they didn't, you know, they, they did a good job of like keeping them cool. I saw they had their whole own, uh, you know, um, area to help, uh, cool down the players and we also it was of course the 20th anniversary of 9-11 so we had a special tunnel walk um, like we did 20 years ago which was cool to see and we had these special uniforms for the occasion which I quite like the design of I um, did too yeah yeah they had that old school numbering on them yep they had the old school numbering which I like we've we've used something similar to that I don't know if those are the same jerseys but I, I know we've had a jersey that had that that font if you will for the numbers before and and then the helmet itself was also old school uh with the nu on it instead of just the red n that we've known since you know the 70s right so those those went back to the early 70s or 60s even yep and last thing we'll talk about here is the offense which we haven't spent much time on um when once again if you look at the stats you know they are kind of impressive in that we had 516 total yards 220 rushing, 296 passing. Uh, Martinez had 112 yards on the ground because he got a big run for a touchdown at one point in the game. Yep. Um, well, it wasn't a touchdown, but it was a 71-yard run. Yeah, and he got almost a touchdown right like, into the within the five. You're right. You're right. Um, you know, but once again, you know that just goes to show that like you know, just forgetting the penalties that should have been, could have been touchdowns. You know, we had uh, nine points in field goals that we just left on the table because Connor missed them. Um, Exactly. So, you know, and then there's that 
you know, touchdown right at the end of the game that we should have had. Uh, so, you know, that was definitely uh, frustrating. The fact that we were, our offensive line was getting eaten up by their defensive line. Like Martinez was having to throw early or try to scramble in a lot of scenarios. And that has me very worried for when we get up against big 10 defenses uh, this season. Um, well, and, and this coming week's opponent as well. well. I, yeah, but that's a given. Like, I've, I've already accepted that we're going to lose that game. Um, <laughs> one thing that we haven't talked about in past podcasts, I believe, that I, I have liked this season on the, the few occasions we've run it is the, uh, the option. Um, yeah. Martinez seems to have a, a pretty good knack for holding on that ball until the last second and then pitching it. Uh, which is what you want to have for that option style. Um, we've only yeah. run it a couple times, but it seems like pretty much every time we've had, we've gotten positive gain off of it. Right. No, you're right. He He's done all right with that. And actually, you know, other than the fact that he still goes through his passing progressions too slowly, um, you know, I would say that, that um, Adrian has played pretty well. You know what I mean? Like he's, He's managing the offense. He's getting everybody going in the right direction. We, we, you know, cross your fingers. We've done a pretty decent job with not having a ton of false starts and uh, maybe a good mention to Cam, uh, um, uh, our center. Oh, no. no. Our our center. uh, Cam Juergens, yes. That he has snapped the ball better this year. It's still an occasional one or two a game, but that's pretty typical. I mean, you. You watch again any any football team that that's you know doing you know seventy plays during a game. A couple of those snaps aren't going to be perfect, but uh, but we're not having the atrocious ones that that he used to do. So Cam has definitely improved significantly in that area. Yes, for sure. Yeah, the the one exception was that one that was devastating in the Illinois game. We were making yes. that that drive. Um, but besides that, it's been uh, it's been good on that front. Um, one thing that was nice to see was that we got to see um, some talent that we hadn't seen as much of on the field. Uh, Xavier Betts being a highlight. He had a really nice juke move, I remember, that got him some yep. extra yards. Uh, but unfortunately, he got injured as well as yeah. uh, Austin Allen. Um, have you heard anything more on their injuries? Yes. Uh, well, let's go through that because there's a few more, too. So, you know, um, you, you have Austin Allen and uh, Betts, but you also have Omar Manning uh, was, didn't even play because he got hurt and he was seen walking around in a boot. So I don't know how long he's going to be out. Um, and then um, um, let's see here. There's uh, uh, actually Hickman, who was a tight end who came in and played well for us. Mm-hmm. Chris Hickman, I think his name is. Um and he's a, a guy who's kind of a tweener. He's six five, but he's only like two hundred and fifteen, two hundred and twenty pounds. So he's just not big enough to be, you know, an on the line of scrimmage tight end. Even though that's the position that that we have him at, you know, on the roster. Uh, the fact is, is he's not really equipped to be a traditional tight end for us. But but he's got great hands and he's a, he's athletic, um, and so he did some good things. But he also got injured during the game. He continued to play the Austin Allen injury. I'm very concerned about because I believe it's concussion. I suspect he's in concussion protocol and they, they, you know, and it was funny because, uh, you know, during the the broadcast, they said, Oh, he, he turned his ankle. And that's what the claim was. Uh, and that's what they told the sideline reporter, but he hit his head. 
I mean, if you watch the play, he was he, he was falling backwards and and his head hit slammed on the turf. Um, so I have a feeling that he's probably got himself a, a concussion, and uh, so I would not expect him back for the Oklahoma game. Yeah, um, I know that uh, Caleb Tanner also went down yeah. twice in the game, um, but it didn't yep. seem like uh, a. a a particularly, you know, grievous injury. So I'm hoping he's all right. right. Well, and I think it's going to be a, it's a nagging injury is what I get. So I think we're going to see Cam. Um, um, I, I'm, we're going to see him on the ground like that, you know, probably in future games as well, where he has to be helped off the field because he's got this problem. And I don't know exactly what it is, but it's, I, you know, wherever, whatever it is, uh, they seem to think that he can play with it. But as soon as it gets tweaked or whatever, then it hurts like hell and he just needs some time. And so then they have to get him off the field and then he can come back in the next series and play until he tweaks it again. Right, uh, which is yeah, I, I've gone through that. Yeah, not, not you know, a great I played. sustainable scenario, but, uh, but hey. No, it isn't. But when you get there, I mean, I, I experienced that with a, with a uh, pinched nerve in, in, uh, in my back uh, one season where I just had to, except that I had stingers on my shoulders and, uh, you know, a turf toe uh, that once you have an injury like that, you, you just kind of play with it. But then when it, when it lights up on you, man, it hurts like heck. And, and you might have to go out for a few plays, but then you're right back in. You know, my whole side of my shoulder, my whole side of my body would just go numb. And I, you know, just, I'm like dragging my arm off the field. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then, you, you know, three minutes later, the, the pain, uh, the sense comes back and you go back out there and play. Uh, and that's kind of, that's right. the kind of nagging injuries that a lot of these guys end up with by the end of a season. Yeah. Yeah. Both teams had a lot of injuries. Uh, part of that yeah. was no doubt due to the extreme heat, you know, people cramping up and things like that. But they got, yep. you know, both Illinois and Buffalo, you know, these teams that we've played have gotten beat up while, uh, while playing us. So that gives True. me signs that our guys are playing physical, you know, there, there were still a few uh, missed tackles, you know, or like where they went for the legs and didn't quite get a guy. Uh, but in general, that is something I've definitely seen improvement on compared to like two years ago. Oh, yeah. I would totally agree. I think our defense has tackled well. I think we've generally been in position that we're supposed to be in. Although there's obviously some gap uh, assignment issues that we still have, but it's not as pervasive as it's been in some previous years uh, with Scott Frost and his staff, but offensively, our offensive line is a merry-go-round. It's a mess. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, and we need those guys to stop thinking and they need to start playing and they need to start playing now because if they play like they did on Saturday against Oklahoma's defensive line, it's going to be name the score time. And we'll be lucky if, Adrian survives the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it could get ugly, that's for sure. Um, so transitioning off of the game, um, one quick note on the national news side of things. There are actually uh, two pieces that will flow into each other nicely. Um, one is that the four teams that we talked about on the previous podcast that were rumored to be going to the Big 12 uh, have received their invitations or extended them to the Big 12. Um, and that is Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and UCF. And the rumor yep. I, I saw was that they're, uh, I guess, aiming for 2023 as their year to officially begin. Right. 
Well, and, and every time, you know, they say those things because that's what you have to say based on contracts, right? right. Usually contracts associated with the, the, um, uh, uh, the conferences that those institutions are currently a part of. But oftentimes there will be ongoing negotiations that will happen between now and then that might very well pull that forward a year or even two. Um, you know, that's just like the Texas and Oklahoma departure from the Big 12 to the SEC. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if that ends up all kind of materializing sooner. Oh, yeah. There, uh, there's, um, no, there's no way they're waiting until 2025 for Texas right. and Oklahoma. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think there's some, some things there that are going to have to be played out in a negotiation behind closed doors, and then they'll come out and say, well, this is what we're really going to do. Right. But – but, you know, honestly, again, as I, as I look at that, what the Big 12 did, frankly, they have done it again. They have found a way to, to survive, right? Um, that I think adding those four teams, probably four of uh, maybe a handful of others, teams that they could have gotten that would have made sense and bring enough panache in terms of their success on the field, as well as, you know, um, uh, fan base and uh, eyeballs to make it worthwhile. And the other great thing about it for uh, the Big 12 is, I mean, you bring it in UCF, which, by the way, is one of the biggest universities in Florida now. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's twice the size of Nebraska, right? right? Their, their student population is, I think, 65,000, 70,000 students. They're a huge school. Wow. And um, um, so they have a huge, uh, uh, a growing alumni base, growing fan base, uh, and they bring access to Florida, right? They're a, nut, they're a Florida school now that is part of the Big 12. So, you know, a Florida kid can now play at UCF in, in the Big 12, right? So a Florida kid can s- stay home, so to speak, and still be a member of the Big 12. Yep. Or they can go to one of the other Big 12 institutions knowing that they're going to come back and play, you know, back in Florida, back in front of the home crowd, you know, with some frequency. So um, that's, that's a big deal for them. And BYU is a national brand, you know, obviously, you know, associated much like Notre Dame, it is, it is the national university of, uh, you know, Mormon um, church. And so um, you're going to have a, a huge fan base, um, that follows that program. So really, really good choices. I think Oh yeah, that they made For, from what's available. I think they made good choices. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting to see uh, if there's any more movement of the, you know, eight or I guess it was uh, yeah, eight. Eight, eight teams that were remaining after Texas, Oklahoma left because uh, you know, I definitely think like the big 10 is looking to expand now to counteract the SEC, because if they just do nothing, the SEC's power is going to be so great, you know? I feel like they have to do something. And I know that there's this alliance now between the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten, but as we talked about on a previous podcast, that might not be worth the paper it's signed on, you know, in a year exactly. from now. Exactly. So, we'll have I, to see. I agree. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's going to do much for us. So, yeah. I, I would agree with you, and... Yeah, that that would be the, the the concern that the the Big Twelve still has to have is is that yeah they brought in the the, the best choices available, 
but um, it's still got kind of a ceiling on how much they could likely demand from a television contract. And, and um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think it's a great move by those institutions though. I think, you know, Cincinnati and, and UCF and um, um, probably to a lesser extent, BYU, BYU is the only one that's, that probably could have waited around and, and might have potentially gotten the invite into the, into the PAC 12, for example, at some point. Um, right. uh, so they're the only ones that maybe had some other options. The, the other three schools, I'm trying to think of who the fourth one is and it's escaping me now. It's UCF, uh, Cincinnati, uh, uh, BYU Houston. and Houston, Houston. Okay. And Houston, that, that, that's just, that's Houston was an old Southwest conference school. So they're kind of jo- rejoining, um, you know, some, some old foes like Baylor, um, and Texas tech and, you know, some old Southwest conference uh, schools that, that they played with. So, um, that makes some natural ties and sense as well. Yeah. Um, the other big, uh, piece of news that actually just dropped today as recording this Monday is, uh, about USC because they played against Stanford this past weekend and got beat 42, 28. And frankly, that score doesn't show how dominant it was from my looking at the highlights because it was like 42-13, I think, in the fourth quarter. Um, so it was it was a rough loss. They did not. Oh, look and it was a physical beat good. too. Yes. Um, and then uh, today, Monday, it was announced that Clay Helton has been let go from USC. Uh, their cornerbacks coach Dante Williams is going to be the interim head coach. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's been kind of like writing on the wall for Clayton Helton for a while now. Um, he was 46 and 24 entering his seventh year at USC. He kind of he got a good start. You know, uh, he went to the Rose Bowl, I believe, in his first two seasons um, or at least once in those first two seasons. But since then has struggled. Um, but I was still surprised to see. USC acting so kind of spur of the moment, you know, in the second game of the of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I find the timing to be a little bit odd. Uh, they, I, I'm wondering if they have already been in conversations with someone and they have somebody already, you know, lined up. You know what I mean? Some some yeah. coach that they've targeted uh, that will be announced maybe not until the end of the season, but they already have some of their homework done. I don't know. Because it just seems like if you um, – because now you've got, I mean, you are now lame duck. And what's going to be interesting to see is, depending on who this guy is that they choose, they need a home run hire, and they're need they're going to need to have him pretty quick uh, uh, after the season's over. Because with the ability to transfer now being made so easy, right. I uh, they are going to be the first major team to go through this in an era where everybody can take off. And so the question is, what kind of exodus are you going to have uh, from that USC roster, um, mm-hmm. depending on who the new coach is? If, the, if they get a wow hire, then that guy might be able to come in and hold that ship together. But if they get a guy that kind of falls in under the radar and is not an overwhelming wow hire, I could see a bunch of their talent deciding to use their free opportunity to transfer and do it. Right. Right. The, and, and just 
devastate that team. The thing I saw before this podcast, and I think it was just some reporter on Twitter, so take it with a grain of salt here. But what he said was that Luke Fickle is their first choice, and apparently Bob Stoops is second choice. Well, those would be two great choices. Luke Fickle's at Cincinnati still, or is he? did he leave Cincinnati and go to the NFL or something? I, I don't know where Luke is. If Luke is still at Cincinnati, that would be a great choice regardless um, of where he is. But uh, that's interesting given Cincinnati has just emerged as, as, as a more significant program and has now gotten themselves invited into the Big 12 only to lose their guy. Right. You know? Yep. Uh, uh, he is currently at Cincinnati. You are correct. Okay. Okay. So, so that would, that would kind of suck for Cincinnati, but that would, that would probably be a pretty darn good hire for them. The only question I would have about Luke is will Luke be able to recruit uh, the West coast? You know, I think Luke is a guy that's been a big 10 guy, big 10 area guy. I don't know if he has some ties out West that would allow him to, you know, hit the ground running with recruiting. Mm -hmm. uh, that would, I, I know he's a good coach. Uh, the question is, can he recruit? <laughs> I was it. I saw some comments saying that, uh, uh, Urban Meyer, you know, it was just something of, you know, pretending to be him. And he's like, oh, sorry, guys, I got to step away from the uh, analysis desk today. Because <laughs> yeah, <no>. USC <laughs> yeah, is one exactly. of those prominent, high-paying jobs that could Absolutely. entice him back. Well, if if Meyer, if Meyer was available, um, but he, um, yeah, that, that would have been one that he would have seriously considered. But since he's in the NFL now, um, Obviously, mm. he's going to stay there until he gets fired, but, um, but right, right, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and uh, going into the games from week two, which we'll go through here briefly, uh, we did predict the big game, which was Ohio State, Oregon. I predicted that the Ohio State would win 41 31. Uh, you predicted a higher scoring victory of 49 21, uh, but it actually ended up being an Oregon victory of 35 28 in Ohio as well. So uh, I know and I'm totally shocked by this result. I really am. Uh, and, and I watched a good bit of that game actually, cause it was the primary game of the day. And uh, I was amazed. And I mean, really amazed because Ryan day and his staff have been so good, so good, Alex up until now. Uh, but their, their unwillingness to uh, change up their defensive approach when Oregon was having success was a, a bit of a head scratcher to me. I mean, they, uh, Oregon f had figured out on film, uh, you know, that they could basically clear out, um, you know, the Ohio state defense with some, uh, you know, formations and, and some motion uh, and, and basically get a, a numbers advantage inside. And they were able to run the football effectively um, with, with uh, that approach because Ohio State refused to um, break away from their man-to-man -man approach. They, they, they needed to go to a zone and, and shore up that run defense um, enough or long enough uh, to kind of get control of the game, and then they might have been able to go back to a little bit more, at least mix it up, but it just seemed like they were in man a lot. And, and, and Oregon, every time they saw that, if they saw that, they would just keep going to the same – um, series of plays and they were all working mm -hmm. and I, I watched the highlights from the game and from what I saw um, Ohio State was driving it 
in the fourth quarter with, you know, five minutes left on the clock or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there, I think it was the only uh, interception of the game. Of course, the quarterback throws it right as they're on this important drive. And that was basically uh, the end right there. But, you know, they could, they were in the position to tie it up. Um, Right. No, I know. Yeah. So, you know, good for Oregon. You know, they, they definitely looked very physical, you know, and showing off their athleticism and all that. Uh, It's just, it was just kind of funny to watch it. Like they're doing, I saw that they were doing that play where they throw it laterally to like the sidelines, you know, to a receiver and then have him run along the sideline, which is a play. I kind of hate that frost runs. Uh, So it was kind of funny seeing, you know, some of our plays, reflected in them because of course that's where Scott was under Chip Kelly. Um, but this is the uh, first home loss in Ryan Day's career at OSU. Right. I know that's the thing. It was, it's a bit of a head scratcher. I, I, it just seemed like they were unwilling to make an adjustment. They, I, they must've kept seeing enough to say, no, no, we don't need to, we don't need to change it. We just need our guys to execute what we're asking them to do better. And they just never quite got it done. Um, the sad news is, is that I think this will be very valuable for Ohio State, and I think that they will probably be a better team as a result of this loss, but uh, it might be enough of a loss to keep them out of any legitimate conversation about the uh, uh, college football playoff again, and, and um, I hope not because I don't want the Big Ten to be shut out again, but I feel like Ohio State's one of the only flag bearers we have that's got a, a legitimate shot at getting in that mix, you know? I mean, if Oregon goes on to win the Pac-12 and that would o- help. And OSU, you know, has a good season from here on out, you know, they don't lose again, you know, then I think they're easily still in the conversation. I, I would agree. I would agree. And, and, and I do expect Oregon to do well. Oregon's coach is a phenomenal recruiter. He's a, he's a good coach but an absolutely incredible recruiter. And he has been stockpiling talent for a while. It hasn't necessarily been translating previous years, although they, they were expected to be the, uh, you know, they were the best team in the back 12 last year and then kind of got upset um, and ended up not, not, uh, you know, being the pack 12 champions, but, but um, they're uh, yeah, they're going to be a factor for many years to come because of USC's struggles Although Chip Kelly's starting to get it back together at UCLA, so we'll see what UCLA does. But you know, Washington now—I don't know if you were going to talk about that game, but that was another big game uh, uh, from last weekend. And now they're facing 0 and 2 at this point. They're really in a in an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Yep, they lost to Michigan 31 to 10, which yep. is a game we had mentioned a little bit last week. Yeah, that was a dominant win by Michigan. Michigan's got some young talent that's starting to emerge, and uh, and I I just loved how aggressive they were. I mean that offensive line and those running backs, they're hitting those holes hard and full speed. Man, they are attacking, um, and uh, so I I was uh, favorably impressed with the Wolverines. Yeah, I think I saw some comment in the press from Jim Harbaugh. Uh, talking about like like we don't travel by air, we travel by land or something like that, alluding to the fact that you know <laughs> you know why why aren't you passing the ball more you know while we're having right. success running it something like that. That's interesting that he would say that. Um, yep. Well, I, I think it's pretty clear what they you know they've got their identity now. See, that's 
one of the things that they've been struggling with in recent years. That's one of the things we've struggled with at Nebraska for a number of years now is to really have an identity that, you know, you can hang your hat on. And I think, I think Michigan now has embraced that that's what they're going to do. Not that they won't throw the football or that they don't have good receivers because they do. And their, their quarterback is, is a stud, their freshman who's the backup right now, but is their future is, is got an incredible arm. So I, I, I don't think we're going to see them become, you know, Bo, Bo Schembechler's you know, three yards in a cloud of dust anytime soon, but they're certainly committed to the run to a higher degree than they have been in a long time. Yep. And then uh, this one made me happy as a uh, former member of the big 12 was Arkansas versus Texas where Arkansas won 40-21 in a game where Texas made a lot of mistakes and uh, just kind of got physically beat up once again. Um, Those who watched the uh, SEC shorts on YouTube, I saw they had a really funny one today uh, with Texas and Arkansas, like Texas all all beat up, like trying to get out of the SEC deal. (laughs) It was was pretty good. Well, you know what? It is... uh... I think uh, we might have talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about that Texas and Oklahoma thing. And the the one big risk that those two schools have is, you know, those two were the, um, the, you know, year in and year out, traditionally, the, the big kahunas of the Big 12. And they're now going into a league where, you know, even in Arkansas, okay, which, let's be honest, over the last decade, haven't really been much of a factor in the sec even in arkansas can put a whooping on you okay because they're loaded with talent and resources and everything uh, at the sec right because they're an sec school mm-hmm. and texas is going to find and oklahoma are both going to find it a lot tougher sledding in that sec schedule once they are injected into that and 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 the, the tendency is is that when you get a new property like that bringing it, uh, that in just like they did the nebraska they load you up with the big boys so that two things happen. Number one, they're taking full advantage of this new part of their inventory that they've got, right, from a television revenue standpoint. And secondly, they kind of want to welcome them to the league by saying, welcome to the SEC. You're no longer in the Big 12, fellas, right? And, yeah. and, and I, think, I think Texas, particularly given their recent, um, you know, decade of, of, of struggles, uh, are, are going to find it really tough in that transition to the SEC. Mm-hmm. Well, and frankly, with uh, Clay Helton getting fired, you know, Tom Herman has also been on that kind of hot seat for a while now, um, so he might want to watch out. You're you're right. You're absolutely right. I think the Texas alums will be clamoring um, if uh, if Texas doesn't turn it around, which they still could, obviously. So. Of course. And then the last game I want to talk about from this week was uh, a game that's relevant to the Big Ten, the rivalry game between Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State was actually ranked ninth, while Iowa was 10th. And Iowa ended up winning 27-17 over their Big 12 rival. Right. Yeah. And it was a it was a tight game. And again, Iowa wins it with defense and opportunistic offense, right? Uh, th- their offense wasn't prolific at all. But their defense, um, you know, put them in a position to get some easier points. And when they give them, when they give the offense, you know, those um, short fields and such from turnovers, guess what the offense does? They find a way. They find a way. They get it done. 
And then their defense is so darn good that basically Iowa State couldn't really do much anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Classic Iowa right there. It was uh, totally. Yeah. And then looking ahead to next week, um, there are two really big games that uh, will be interesting on the national stage. Uh, Alabama, Florida in the SEC, and then Auburn versus Penn State, uh, SEC versus Big Ten matchup. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I had forgotten about that Penn State-Auburn uh, game. That will be interesting and very interested to see how Penn State handles that. Um um, because, uh, you know, even though they beat Wisconsin in, in week one, um, I feel like, um, that was one of those games where Wisconsin kind of lost it. Right. Right. And, uh, uh, and then this week they played, I think a Mac school and they didn't, they won, but it wasn't super impressive. And so it'll be interesting to see what's going on there, uh, for Penn state. Is that at Auburn? Uh, let me look that up. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, if you don't know, it's fine. We can keep going. But but I would say that if it's if that game is at Auburn, I would be concerned if if I'm a Penn State fan. I mean, I know Auburn isn't maybe at its peak or anything. Auburn, you know, is not struggling, but uh, I mean, they're not at their peak. No. And uh, so it, it is at uh, Penn State. At Penn State. Okay. That's a that's a big plus then. I, I think then the chances are far better that Penn State will find a way to yep. make that successful. Though that's exactly what we said about Ohio State last week, and look what happened I know. there. That's true. You're right. Yep. Mm, yep. And if, if Penn State were to lose to Auburn, oh, my gosh, combined with the Ohio State loss, um, then all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of the Big Ten is down kind of right. commentary. A lot of more pressure than usual, I guess, than on Michigan to – try to step back up to the plate in that scenario. Yep, exactly. Um, exactly. But that Alabama-Florida game, of course, you know, a matchup of Titans that we've gotten used to seeing over the years. Um, I assume that you think Alabama is the favorite, but uh, if you had to put a score on the game, what would you say? Well, um, well, you know, I mean, Alabama has is still uh, bringing along some youth. They're extremely talented, but they're bringing along some youth and Florida uh, should be kind of really getting into their, into their uh, groove now because their coaches has been there, you know, same as Scott Frost. So, and has had a lot more success than Scott. So he's established himself a much, much better. Um, But I'm, I'm still going to say Alabama will, will be successful uh, and uh, win that game. Uh, I'm going to say it's probably not going to be as high scoring maybe as I might have thought. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be like, oh, man, 31-28. Wow, interesting. I did just look it up. It is at Florida, so Florida will have that home game advantage. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and predict that uh, I think Alabama – uh, like in past years that Nick Saban's going to have a really good team together and that they're going to be uh, competing for the national championship again this year. So I'm going to predict that Alabama wins and I'm going to say that their defense comes here to play. And so Florida will get 21 points while Alabama will get 38, 38, 21 Alabama. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're proud. That's probably a, a pretty darn good guess. 
Alex. I, I would say you're probably closer than me, but I, I maybe I'm just hoping because I, <laughs> I'm so disgusted with the same old, same old Alabama. Yeah. And then our last discussion for today will, of course, be about uh, Nebraska's upcoming game. Uh, Oklahoma played against uh, West Carolina uh, in the previous week, and they crushed them uh, 76 to zero. So a little bit similar to Buffalo uh, defeating their team like 69 to nothing last time. Uh, but of course, Oklahoma is not Buffalo. They're a much bigger threat. So uh, as you pointed out earlier, I am definitely very concerned about the offensive line going up against Oklahoma's defense. Uh, that uh, Martinez could find himself running away the whole game. We've seen that in the past, and these are the sorts of games where he tweaks something and then he's hurt, you know, and he's not 100% for the rest of the season, and it derails us. Um, so I really hope we can avoid that situation. Um, and then uh, defensively, you know, uh, I think I think definitely more highly of our defense than I do our offense, but we have still gotten beaten uh, on a number of occasions and in the past, as we've talked about on this podcast, where we've played zone because we're too scared to do man to man against uh, receivers. Um, typically, teams have found ways to get those, you know, medium passes, you know, the, the 10, 15 yard passes on us pretty consistently. And then you just march down the field and uh, score the honest way. Um, so. It's going to be rough for us. Um, I'd like to think that we can hang in there in the first half, and then you know they kind of pull away, blow the doors off us maybe in the second half, but at least we make one half convincing. Uh, but that is definitely not a guarantee. What is your feelings on that? I would, I would agree with you on your overall assessment. I think our challenge is, is uh, along the offensive and defensive line. Um, they are going to be uh, coming at us. And, and again, this is where I think the, the weakness and how we prepare the weakness in our practice philosophy and approach uh, comes back to haunt us in games like this, where we're going to look like we're running in quicksand while they are gazelles that are running you know, full speed. <laughs> and, and, and I, my fear is, is that uh, things could unwind rather rapidly. We would, we would need for, uh, for them to do us a favor or two, uh, we would need them to have a turnover to make some mistakes and uh, maybe be a little overconfident. So they're not at their peak uh, in terms of intensity, but I guarantee you that won't be the case. I think that they're not going to be over uh, overlooking us or anything like that. Uh, and they're going to come into that game wanting to make a statement because they did not play well in their first week's game. And so um, this is their first chance on national TV to make a statement and Oklahoma is going to do that. Uh, so uh, I, I'm afraid that Nebraska's only choice here is to match that intensity and that physicality. And our defense, I think is good enough to maybe be able to slow them down. Like you say, for a little bit, uh, especially if we came up with a scheme that, that really matched up well for them. Um, and uh, their quarterback is a Heisman front runner runner, but I also think he, he's a guy that in the past has has had a tendency to maybe, you know, lose his focus for a period of a game, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you throw an interception, maybe make some bad decisions, whatever. And we, uh, we it would sure be great if he did that, especially early in the game, so that that would allow us to maybe get a cheap touchdown or something and, um, you know, kind of hang around. Uh, but I agree, uh, by the second half, 
uh, I don't think this is going to be very close. And my concern is that our guys are going to give up. Uh, I, I, you know, I sense there's a, there's a overwhelm, uh, there's an overall kind of level of frustration among our team. Um, guys that are pretty close to just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, screw this because they're getting an awful lot of negative um, um, commentary from Nebraska fans who, even though we've won two games, uh, still look at the way in which we won those games and say, we should have dominated those two teams. And we were fighting for our lives in both games in many respects. So I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think we can match up with these guys. Right. I mean, we would need them to really, really screw up. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I don't want it to, I don't want it to be, you know, a 55 to three kind of game, but I would say that's more likely than us being in a tight, you know, 21, 17 kind of game. Oh yeah. Well, I definitely agree that that's the more likely scenario. I will say in both the Scott Frost and in the Mike Riley era, you know, we did show the ability to pull off upsets against teams that were considered to be better than us. Frankly, it's us playing the teams that are considered worse than us, you know, where it feels like, you know, we have that expectation, right, that we're supposed to be the better team and we make stupid mistakes that let them stay in it. You know, in this case, though, the pressure is off. We're playing at Oklahoma. Nobody is going to be choosing us to win this game nationally. Um, so if they do make a mistake, you know, and somehow the kind of the tension gets to Oklahoma, then we're the ones who have nothing to lose and can kind of play freely. So that's kind of the one scenario where I can see us uh, making it close and maybe well, out a surprise. And, and if, if Shenander can get the defense ready to play this offense. Okay. And all the diversity that Lincoln Riley has in his offensive uh, repertoire, uh, then that would, that would go a long way. And then maybe you have, you know, a breakdown in their defense and Adrian is able to take advantage of it and either make a, a great run or a great pass like he's done in recent weeks. Uh, and that would be awesome, you know, but here's the thing uh, we talked about it at the beginning of our podcast today, you know, um, other than Toure, right. Mm-hmm. We've got Omar Manning out. We've got, um, bets, uh, bets, bets out. We got Austin Allen out and Vokalek. And so we're now down to our, and, and potentially Hickman. So there's, we're, we're down to our third or fourth tight end. Um, um, you know, we have not established any continuity with our run game. Uh, we've had a revolving door at running back and our offensive line is still in shambles. So what do we have that we can lean on again, much like Michigan, who's been able to establish for themselves, you know, an identity in these couple of games they've played here. We are three games in and we aren't any closer to establishing an identity than we were in the uh, preseason. That's true. That is true. You know, and of course the injury bug always seems to strike us badly, but you know, that's, that's just one you kind of got to roll with. And the fact that we don't have as much depth as a lot of these teams that are better than us. Um, One thing before we give our score predictions, uh, setting aside the, uh, you know, win loss on the field stuff. How do you feel as a longtime Nebraska fan getting to play Oklahoma again, this classic rivalry game, it's been about a decade since we played them last. So how does that feel for right. you? Well, you know, uh, I mean, if, if I felt like we were able to bring a reasonably competitive 
uh, a team to the game. Um, not even necessarily one where we were expected to win, but just one in which we weren't, you know, 20 plus point underdogs. I would, um, I would be way more excited about the renewal of this rivalry. Cause we, we really, it really was awesome growing up, you know, in the, in the seventies and eighties, um, there was so much respect that uh, built uh, between those two schools. And so the, you know, the other games uh, were uh, uh, lesser games in the season because you knew when you played against Oklahoma, man, they were going to give you, you know, their best shot and it was going to be an all out battle, you know, and um, that intensity made that game really cool. And then the, 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 the relationships that, that kind of, slowly built out of that uh, between Tom Osborne and, and uh, Barry Switzer uh, was incredible, really, uh, that those two guys, because they couldn't have been more opposites as in terms of personality and how they went about doing their job, but both of them were remarkable at it, right? So, so it was just so cool to be a part of that. I don't feel that at all as I approach <laughs> this week. It's, it's much more of a, a thing of, gee, I just wish we could be a more credible opponent for them uh then that would be more fun for them too frankly and and give them more of a boost when they beat us now they're in the in the like you said we're, we're the ones that come in free free and clear right we everybody's expecting us to get our ass kicked so it is what it is um and if we don't and and we play respectfully uh we can look at that as a positive even though we lose by 14 points let's say mm-hmm yeah. Yep. In terms of predictions, um, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Oklahoma does win. Um, they definitely do beat us and they are able to score a lot of points on us. Uh, but that I'm going to hope that we are able to, you know, like you say, kind of find some of that identity that we need on offense um, and are able to uh, keep, like I say, I, I would predict we keep it close in the first half and the second half, they kind of blow away from us, you know, and it's not really close by the fourth quarter, uh, but we've kept it respectable at least. Um, so I'm going to predict that Oklahoma wins uh, 42 to 21 over Nebraska. Well, that, okay. See, now that would be a score that I, I, I wouldn't be happy with, but I could probably accept. Uh, uh, again, I'm going to be more on the pessimistic side in this week because, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, as a side note, there there are some longtime um, contributors and uh, you know uh, guys that participate in some of the websites that I frequent that you know talk about Nebraska football who have really thrown in the towel this week. Even on the heels of this quote quote victory against Buffalo, they have finally conceded that they don't believe Scott Frost is getting it done coaching wise. That that he is officially in over their head oh in over his head in their minds and and these are people that i respect because i've generally agreed with their reasonably heady and objective uh, view of you know the program and where we might be able to improve but with an obvious homer bent you know in hopes that we were going to turn that corner they're now conceding they don't think we're going to turn the corner that that scott isn't the guy and they've kind of lost hope and that's a that's a bad sign for me. So my, my prediction is that we're going to see some of that lost hope show up in this game. And if, if things don't go well for us early, 
which often is the case, uh, even when we're playing lesser teams, uh, then this could get ugly. And uh, um, hopefully uh, Oklahoma will call off the dogs, but I have a feeling that they're going to want to hang at least half a hundred on us. I'm going to say it's going to be 55 to 17. Okay. Both definitely could happen. We will have to see. Um, yeah. I, 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 of course, hope that we can do like you said and stay close, have a couple of good things happen early, uh, maybe put a little bit of a doubt or fear in them because we're able to, say, establish a running game, which they will be watching three films showing that we can't run the football. And so uh, if all of a sudden we're able to against them, that might freak them out a little bit, right? And uh, all of a sudden then wide receivers are open and we're a balanced offense and, and Scott Frost's offense starts working. You know, that would be the scenario that's great. And then our mature defense it at least slows them down and we are able to score, match scores and, you know, play with them. And we end up in a battle that ends up with a victor that wins by, you know, 45 to 42 or something like that. Yep. That would be nice for sure. For sure. That's what we're all hoping for here in Husker nation. Um, So as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, next week's podcast will be a little delayed. We may combine two podcasts together. We'll see, but we'll definitely be back to talk about the Oklahoma game and the other big games coming up in this week of college football. We hope all you out there enjoyed listening to us. If you did, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you search for College Football Throwdown, you can leave us a rating or a review there. Let us know what you think of the podcast. You can also find us on SoundCloud if you prefer listening on that website. So thank you all out there for listening. And thank you for joining me for this episode, Dad. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.